Thank you. Open your Bibles, please, to the book of Hosea, uh, chapter 14. And so I, like, I sort of love administration, and I hate it when it goes wrong. So we somehow missed the Reagan's baptism. I don't, I'm not sure. We'll, I'll find out what happened, but we didn't have it scheduled. And man, Tom jumped on it. Natalia, Sean, thank you very much. And we're so glad to be able to um, baptize Reagan today. And it's just an expression of the testimony of her heart that she's a follower of Jesus. And by the way, we're going to have a baptism night next Sunday night for anyone who maybe if you've trusted Christ as Savior, not followed in believer's baptism after trusting Christ as Savior. Uh, we'll do that next Sunday night in the Kids Life Center. It's kind of an intimate setting there, and you can invite family and friends to come. But just want to thank you all uh, who helped out making this happen today, last second. From our standpoint, it wasn't from Reagan's standpoint. And then uh, I wanted to say, before we look at our text, I wanted to say on this Patriots Day, um, I want to say thank you to all of our first responders and, our, and the military people and people who are willing to go towards the sound of danger. Uh, I mean, I am just impressed by people who are willing to sacrifice like that on our behalf. And if that's you, if there, I'm, I bet there are plenty of folks like that in this room. I just want to say, we thank you for what you do, and God bless you. And maybe we on occasion ought to acknowledge uh, folks like that who do hard things on our behalf in our country in a day when we sort of forget to say thank you or even appreciate what they do. Maybe you ought to just note that. Well, let's open our Bibles to Hosea chapter 14. I want to read there uh, with you. So this is, we've worked our way through the whole book of the Bible. And let me kind of uh, summarize before I read chapter 14, the last chapter of this book. I want to summarize what the story was in case you knew or if you slept through some of the sermons and just didn't catch catch what was happening. So this guy named Hosea was a prophet from God. And God said to Hosea, Hosea, here's, here's what I want you to do. I want you to get married to a wife of promiscuity. And then have children of promiscuity. And that's what Hosea did. He married this woman named Gomer. And Gomer, um, she was a wife of promiscuity. And she left and chased everything else, other guys. And he bought her back, brought her back into the family. And God uses this illustration, this example for us. So he's saying to Israel, Israel, I want you to see a lesson from this. I want you to see that I made you to be mine. And yet, you've chased every idol, worshipped all the false gods around, done everything except follow me. And I want you to see the promiscuity of your heart. And God does this not just for Hosea and Gomer and not just for Israel and God, but also for the church and for the Lord. Because the Bible describes the church as the bride of Christ. The bride of Christ. That's how God describes the church, the bride of Christ. Can I just say parenthetically, in a generation that has so devalued the church, as though the Lord did not make it, as though the Lord did not say, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together as is the manner of some, as though it doesn't matter. God calls the church the bride of Christ for a reason. He knows its imperfections. And the reason it's imperfect is because it's made up of people like us, you and me, imperfect people. The Lord knows that. We ought to be maybe a little careful. Do you, do you think maybe on, on occasion the Lord hears from us enough our complaints about the church 
that he might on occasion say, hey, you, you know what, I've, I've heard you tell me over and over how ugly the bri- my bride is. You know, I've heard that so many times, how ugly the bride is. But God made the church for a reason. And the church, the bride of Christ, boy, there's a reason why people see the flaws of us because we have this tendency like Israel and like Gomer to chase everything but God. And they go our own way. So let's read this 14th chapter because the point of the story really is that we can come back to God, return to God, and maybe God would use this in your life to help you to come back to him and return to him. Let's read Hosea 14. The Bible says, Israel, return to the Lord your God, for you have stumbled in your iniquity. Take words of repentance with you and return to the Lord. Say to him, forgive all our iniquity and accept what is good so that we may repay you with praise from our lips. Assyria will not save us. We will not ride on horses and we will no longer proclaim our gods to the works to the work of our hands. For the fatherless receive compassion in you. I, I will heal their apostasy. I will freely love them for my anger will have turned from them. I will be like the dew to Israel. He will blossom like the lily and take root like the cedars of Lebanon. His new branches will spread and his splendor will be like the olive tree. His fragrance like the forest of Lebanon. The people will return and live beneath his shade. They will grow grain and blossom like the vine. His renown will be like the wine of Lebanon. Ephraim, why should I have anything more to do with idols? It is I who answer and watch over him. I am like a flourishing pine tree. Your fruit comes from me. Let whoever is wise understand these things, and whoever is insightful recognize them. For the ways of the Lord are right, and the righteous walk in them, but the rebellious stumble in them. So let's note what the Bible talks to us here about in in returning to God. God gives us this book of the Bible to call us back to return to him. We, like Gomer, tend to run our own way. Like Israel, tend to go our own way. And God calls us to return. Let's note three ways we can return to God. All right, you ready? If you're a note taker, you could write these principles down or use the app if you'd like to do that. Number one, return with repentance. We return with repentance. One way we return to God is repentance, and the Bible talks about repentance often. Let's note what the Bible says here about returning to God and repenting before Him. Uh, Verse 1 tells us where we return. The Bible says, Israel, return to the Lord your God. Notice the Bible doesn't just say, uh, Israel, return back to the temple. The Bible is saying, return to the Lord your God. God is personal. God wants a personal relationship with you. Salvation is about a relationship with God. It's not just about a church attendance, though God is the one who tells us to attend. It's not just about tradition. It's not just about ritual. It's not just about going through the motions. God cares about you, and God wants a relationship with you. And God says to us, God makes it very personal. He says, I want you to come back. You're my God. I'm your God. You're my people. You're my child, and I want to invite you back. He says to the church, the bride of Christ, I want you to return. So if you were in Hosea's place and Gomer ran from you, would you invite Gomer back? Would you say, listen, all right, no big deal, doesn't really matter. I mean, over and over, she runs and leaves. Would you invite Gomer back? We might say, well, no, man, I'd write, I'd turn the page immediately and I'd, I'd never have her back in my life, of course. And we might expect God to say that about us. God could say, listen, you've messed up so many times. I'm, I'm done with you, and I, I don't want you back. And instead, God says to Israel, return to the Lord your God. He says to the church, I want you to come back home. 
I don't understand why, but I know that God cares about us, and He loves us, and He wants us to come back. It tells us not only where we, re- we return, but why we return. Verse 1 says, Israel, return to the Lord your God, for you have stumbled in your iniquity. Now, we see that word stumble, and we almost think, you know, you can stumble so easily. You can stumble over, just catch your foot on the carpet, or you stumble over a rock or something, and we could think, that's not even my fault always. Sometimes you stumble, and it's not your fault. But the Bible says, you've stumbled in your iniquity. And the word iniquity, that's not, and we're not so happy with that word, because it's a little more painful. It's kind of personal. And God is just, because he cares so deeply about truth, he calls sin, sin. He just, he just tells us the truth. Because he knows we need it. He knows the value of it. He knows the importance of it. And he says here, you've stumbled in your iniquity. So he's saying, Israel, you've, you've fallen, and it's your fault. It's not no one else's fault. It's not the fault of Assyria or Egypt or your parents or your spouse or your kids or your neighbors or your boss or your teacher. He's saying, you need to come back because you're the one who left. So were Gomer's actions sinful? Well, God would say, yeah. She broke her promises to her husband. She broke the Ten Commandments and her adultery. Was it her fault? The Bible would say yes, but we might say, well, I mean, maybe she had bad parents, you know? Maybe the parents didn't teach her right, and there have never been any perfect parents, of course. So she could say that, or she could say circumstances, you know, just the circumstances of life. You don't know what I've gone through. We have, we have a tendency to say, it's not really sin, but if you call it sin, it's not, my, it's not really my fault. And God says, sinful actions are sinful actions, and if it's my sins, it's my sins. Look, I'm not responsible for anyone else's sin in all the world, but I'm fully responsible for my own. But since the first fall, the first stumble in the Garden of Eden, we've had a tendency to blame someone else. You remember when the Lord said, uh, did you disobey me? And Eve said, her response was, the serpent. And then God said to Adam, did you disobey me? And Adam said, the woman. And then he said, the woman you gave me, God. By the way, it's not just the woman's fault, but it's also sort of your fault, God, because you're the one who gave me the woman. And if you're looking for an excuse, I'm telling you, there's always one to be found. There's always one to be found. And since the Garden of Eden itself, we have abdicated our responsibility, and we've said, it's not my fault. It's circumstances. I grew up in a tough environment. I don't doubt you did. And my parents were imperfect people, and I don't doubt they were. But did you know, do you know who's responsible for your sins? No one, you're not responsible for the sins of your parents. You're not responsible for the sins of your friends or your spouse or your boss or your teacher. But no one else in all the world is responsible for the choices you make either. And the Bible says take full responsibility. Take ownership for your sins. You'll never come to repentance as long as it's someone else's fault. And God doesn't say this because he doesn't love you, but because he does. And he wants you to find forgiveness, which we'll get to in a minute. But we'll never get to forgiveness without repentance. And so the Bible says, return to the Lord your God, for you have stumbled in your iniquity. And then it tells us sort of how we return, this repentance that we need. Verse 2 says, take words of repentance with you and return to the Lord. That is, repentance certainly includes what we say. God, I acknowledge that I've sinned against you, that 
my iniquity is mine and I've done wrong, but it also involves what we do. Take words of repentance with you, return to the Lord, say to him, forgive all our iniquity and accept what is good, that's getting to action, so that we may repay you with praise from our lips, that's getting to the action of worship. Assyria will not save us, will not ride on horses, will no longer pro- proclaim our gods, we stop the idolatry, depending on some, everything except you. And then he says this, for the fatherless receive compassion in you. And he's saying, I'm going to repent. I'm going to repent by what I say. I'm going to repent by what I do. I'm not just going to say it, but I'm going to do it. Repentance is not just feeling sorry for something. You can feel sorry and repeat and repeat and repeat. But repentance is where you say, not only am I wrong and I feel sorry about doing wrong, but I'm changing my actions and I'm turning back from my way to God's way. And when I do that, I find the fatherless, I love that in verse 3, the fatherless receive compassion in you. Some of you feel fatherless. Maybe you have a father in this world, but you feel fatherless. And no one loves you and no one cares. The reason God talks about repentance is because he loves you so much that he wants you to find the compassion that you can have in him. So years ago, I was a young man, early, young in our married days. We had a friend, I had a, a close friend, he and his wife, uh, just a little bit younger than us, even newer in the marriage. And, and we just became close. We talked about everything. We are dear friends. And, and uh, over time, he and his wife had some uh, real difficulties. She had some, um, I would say, I'm not a, 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 I don't want to psychoanalyze her ex- except to say she had some emotional struggles and I think she tried to deal with that in some uh, wrong ways and she ended up uh, being promiscuous with other guys and the, and the husband tried to restore the marriage and eventually she would leave him and then marry someone else and so I watched the pain. Now I just tell you sometimes there's enough pain in this world I try to get, I have to keep a little distance in some ways and I, sometimes I find myself just trying not to get too close because it's so painful but I couldn't help it in this case these were my friends. And I watched the pain and the tears, and there were some of my own mixed in. And I watched that take place. And, man, I, I see the pain of something like that, and I think, how in the world would God? Now, I, so I don't know that world myself. I've been, Vicki and I have been married for 40-plus years, and we've been faithful to each other, and I'm glad for that. And by the grace of God, I'm, I'm thankful for that. But listen, I know something about calling the Lord my Lord and not fully living it out, don't you? I know something about saying I'm going to follow Jesus and then stumbling in my effort to do so, don't you? And I find myself sometimes having a story like this or dealing with a subject like my friend and realizing God loves me in these Though I've caused him this kind of pain and hurt and wrong, and somehow he loved Israel, and somehow he he loves the church, and somehow he loves us, though we have this tendency to stumble and we argue with God. It's not really sin after all, God, or we argue with God, someone else's fault, I'm not really responsible, it's the way I was raised, my circumstances. If you had the boss I had, you know, whatever it is, we find a way to excuse, and then God just reminds us that Though we cause that kind of pain, like the pain caused in the life of my friend, like the pain caused to Hosea in his relationship with Gomer, God is still offering compassion to the fatherless. 
And it always starts with, with repentance. So we don't take, don't take repentance out. Don't think of repentance as bad. It's the blessing that God calls us to repentance so that we can come back into fellowship with Him. Now, there's a second principle I want you to note. We return with forgiveness, with forgiveness. So the Bible tells us some things about God's forgiveness. It's an important subject in the Bible that God is able to forgive and that we can forgive because of what God's done for us. So let's note some things about what God does. First, the Bible tells us God heals. He says in verse 4, I will heal their apostasy. Apostasy is where we turn from God, where the people of Israel went to Baal worship. Uh, They made idols. Of course, in our day and age, maybe our idolatry is something a little bit different. We don't make a statue, but we put things in front of God, in place of God. And we, in effect, commit apostasy against God as though there is no God. And the Lord's saying, I can heal that. I bring healing. I care about you. I want to bring healing. Sin always brings scars. It always does damage. And God's saying, I bring healing to you. I've watched the uh, animosity in our own generation, our own culture. The racial division of our generation is real and painful and lasting. And I've watched as it's bigger than politics can fix. In fact, in some ways, politics sort of thrives in dividing people. But God heals. In 1936, the Olympics were in Berlin, and Hitler had just come to power. There's before, this is before World War II has started, but Hitler's come to power, and uh, he wanted to use the Olympics to sort of promote his, himself and National Socialism as a great movement and um, the superiority of the Aryan race, etc. And he, that's what he sort of wanted to use the Olympics to do. And in, in many ways, he failed. And one of the aspects of his failure was a guy named Jesse Owens from the United States who was an African-American uh, man and who won four gold medals there in the Olympic Games. And one of the gold medals he won in was in the long jump. The guy who won silver was a, a German guy uh, his last name was Long, a long jumper named Long. It was a great timing for his name. And this guy, Luz Long, sort of befriended Jesse Owens, even though they were competitors and even though he was, he was in Berlin and Hitler was up in the stands and all that transpired. Uh, long held the European record for the long jump. In fact, he even broke the Olympic record in the Olympic Games, and Jesse Owens just broke it by even more. And so Long won the silver medal and Owens the gold medal. And in the Olympic Games, really to the amazement of Owens, who felt, you can imagine the animosity that he felt. He felt that in his own country, but he certainly felt that there in Germany. And Long, at the medal ceremony, put his arm around Jesse Owens and just hugged him. And it just meant so much to Jesse Owens to have this German who, who would befriend him like that. Later, Long would die serving in the army in Germany, not that long afterwards, but shortly before the war began, he wrote a letter uh, to Owens that said this. He said, someday, he said, someday find my son and tell him how things can be between men on this earth. Someday find my son and tell him how things can be between men on this earth. And I want you to know that when you find this son, 
God sends his son, and when you find him, he shows you, he tells you how things can be between men on this earth. God brings healing. Whatever it is that separates you, whatever has brought scars and pain and hurt, God is the God who heals. He's saying to Israel, I can bring healing to you from your past, from your circumstances, from your pain, from the wrong choices of others, from your own wrong choices. I can bring healing. And then the Bible tells us God loves It says, I will heal their apostasy and I will freely love them for my anger will have turned from them. Verse 4 reminds us that God has righteous anger towards sin. He hates sin. But somehow the God who hates sin loves people who have fallen into sin. He cares about people. And he loved Israel, though Israel had sinned. And he loves the church, though the church has sinned. And he loves you, though you have sinned. And God is able to forgive. God is able to cleanse. And then the Bible tells us God provides. It says in verse 5, I'll be like the dew to Israel. He'll blossom like the lily. He'll take root with the cedars of Lebanon. It talks about being shade in that, in that hot terrain, how God is like the shade that you're under, cools you some, and the dew that waters the ground in the desert land. God provides for us. And then the Bible says God restores. Verse 8 says, Ephraim, why should I have anything more to do with idols? It is I who answer and watch over him. I'm like a flourishing pine tree. Your fruit comes from me. He's, he's saying, I, I can restore, I can bring benefit to you, and I can bring back into your life the restoration that you need. The story of Hosea, I mentioned earlier, chapter 3, tells us the story of how Gomer has run, she gets married, and they have children of promiscuity, and Hosea is not even sure about who his children are, and then she leaves, she's just gone. And then Hosea, in chapter 3, does this amazing thing, he buys her back. He buys her back, the bride that was his who is left, he buys her back. And that's what God has done for us. We're created for fellowship with God. That's why you were created, for fellowship with God. But sin separates us from God, and we run from God, and God buys us back by the blood of Jesus. Did you realize that's the cost? That's the price he paid? He buys us back by the blood of Jesus. And we can be forgiven and brought back into right relationship with the Lord. He can forgive us of our sins. By the way, I want you to know that God forgives. Some of you are here who need, who need to be forgiven. Maybe you've tried to ignore sin or pretend away sin or redefine sin, but God reminds you that sin kills and steals and destroys. But he also reminds you of his love and the cross, the great demonstration of that. And if you will repent of your sin, if you'll place your trust in Christ, God will forgive you. Some of you are believers here. You, you've trusted Christ as Savior, but you're saying something like, I wonder if God can really forgive me. I wonder if God can really forgive me. In fact, the enemy keeps his thumb on us sometimes, and just every time we want to serve, the enemy says, hey, God can't use you. Don't you remember all the things you've done wrong? Or you want to share the gospel at work or school? God can't use you. Don't you remember all the things you've done wrong? And the enemy just puts his thumb on you every time. God can never forgive you. Here's what the Bible says. When I was young, I memorized this verse, and it, it's been so meaningful to me. From, it's from 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. 1 John 1, 9. I'm going to read it. I learned it in a different translation, and I mess it up when I read it in the translation I use now. Here's what the Bible says. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we confess our sins, we agree with God about the nature of our sin. He is faithful 
God is righteous to forgive us. Christ paid the penalty for us and we can be forgiven. And he cleanses us from all unrighteousness. So that as, as though we had not sinned, as though we had never sinned, that's how real the forgiveness of God is. God forgives. And I just want to say as well, because God forgives, you can forgive. You can forgive. And some of you have been in bondage in some way to your past or to someone who's wronged you, or, and you can forgive. And man, forgiveness, the enemy wants us to hold on to all of our grievances, all the wrong that's been done to us. But you don't have to live with that bondage and that burden. You can forgive. Some of you have been in bondage to someone who wronged you decades ago, perhaps. Maybe they're long dead, but you still remain in bondage. God would have you forgive. God, because God forgives you, you can learn to forgive. We're not changing the definition of sin. We don't say it's okay, what they did was fine. No, we're not saying that at all. Sin is sin, and God is, of all people, God in heaven tells us the truth about sin, but he also reminds us of the truth of forgiveness, that God is able to forgive and so we return with repentance and we return with forgiveness. And then number three, we return with perspective. And go with me, please, to verse 9. The Bible is reminding us here in this book of Hosea to change our perspective. So God shows us an example. He gives us an illustration that changes how we look at it. We want to be the hero of the story. We want to be the Hosea. We want to be the, like God is. And God is saying, no, no, you're, the, you're, the, you're more like Gomer. That's who you are in the story. I want you to change your perspective. I want you to see how you've wronged me and yet I've loved you. And I want you to see how you tend to run from me and yet I call you back to return. I want you to see that perspective change. So let's note two things about perspective. First, the Bible tells us to get wisdom, to get wisdom and insight. Verse 9 says, let whoever is wise understand these things and whoever is insightful recognize them. Wisdom is seeing life from God's perspective. It's when we begin to see the world as God sees it. There was a guy who, in our church who uh, took me in a small airplane. He was a pilot and flew a small airplane, flew over our home and things. I'm not really big on heights. I can, I can do a big airplane, but that's, that's a little nervous about the whole thing. But I just tell you, my house looked different from the top than it did from where I was. I mean, just the perspective was different. I could just see things in a different way. And wisdom is where God sort of plucks you from just the way you look at the world right now, the day-to-day and he just says, I want you to see my perspective from heaven. Look down on your life from that. Can you see how brief life is? Can you see how important, how important obedience is? Can you see from that perspective how, how much it matters, what you do with your life? Can you see that there are things in life that count so deeply that there, from that perspective, look like it doesn't matter at all? And there are things that just hardly matter at all. And from your perspective in this world, it seems like that's what matters most. And God's saying, I just want you to see a different perspective. I want you to see, I want you to see how much I love you. I want you to see the pain that's caused when you run from me. I want you to see that you can come home again. God calls us to wisdom. God wants you to be wise. The Bible says, if any of us lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives generously and it will be given to him. One of the reasons God gives us the Bible is so we can see the perspective God has on this world and on life. Not just the perspective of movies. You know, they don't all, did you know movies don't always have the perspective of God? Did you know that? 
Not, every, not all songs have the perspective of God. Not every television show has the perspective of God. Social media, does, this will shock you, social media doesn't always like, have God's perspective. You know, this, the look of God in every bit of social media. I don't know if you knew these things. So God's saying, sometimes you need to step aside and sort of get my perspective and begin to look at the world from heaven's perspective. And you'll see things more clearly. You'll see what really matters, what really counts. Gain some insight and gain some wisdom. That's why God gives us his word so that we can learn what God thinks, what God says, what God wants. One of the reasons I want you to study the Bible on your own and read it for yourself and get involved in Bible studies and get connected in worship services is so we can learn what God has to say because the world is always trying to tell tell us its perspective and God has a different perspective and he wants us to gain wisdom. But God also wants us to gain discernment. Notice what the Bible says in verse 9. For the ways of the Lord are right, and the righteous walk in them, but the rebellious stumble in them. Discernment is knowing right from wrong. It's being able to see truth from falsehood, right from wrong. Our culture says there's no such thing. Just whatever you feel, whatever you think. There are no absolutes, though that's an absolute statement. Whatever you think at the moment, truth can change. It can be your truth or my truth. And God says, it doesn't matter what the culture says. There are things that are right and there are things that are wrong. And it doesn't matter whether you like it or not or whether, you, whether it hurts your feelings. God cares so deeply about you knowing the truth because he knows the value of it. The Bible is saying God's way is right. Notice the Bible says the ways of the Lord are right and the righteous walk in them. And you will either be righteous or you'll be rebellious. The righteous walk in them, the rebellious stumble in them. And God's trying to remind you to see his perspective, to know right from wrong, to know what's good or bad. In a culture that says, and a culture is always changing. The culture is like the sand. You know, a sand, sand dunes are always changing. It just changes over time, the directions of the wind. And that's how our culture is about truth. We just are on shifting sand. And God said, there's a solid rock, and that's not going to change. You remember the story of Jesus talking about men who built their houses and one built on, on the solid rock and one on the sand? Discernment is about knowing the truth so that you can build on something that lasts. If you build on this culture, you're going to have to change. The culture says what's right today was wrong in the old days, what was wrong in the old... It's changing all the time. Shifting sand, and God said, there's truth. I want, you to, I want you to walk in the righteous way. I've got a plan for you that is good and right and best. I want you to build on something that lasts when the storms come. I want you to be able to tell the difference in a culture that says, whatever you feel, whatever you think, whatever you want, I want you to build on something true because truth always will matter to God. And so God gives us a book like Hosea because he's saying, I want you to learn about repentance because you'll never come home until you see your need. And I want you to find forgiveness. I want you to know there's a father who loves you, who tells you the truth because he loves you. And then I want you to build a better life on the truth, on wisdom, on seeing God's perspective, on following God's way. And God will bless and honor that. You can come home. Will you bow with me for a word of prayer? For those of you who know Christ as Savior, I just want to say a word to you. When I talked about the need to return, some of you, it resonated in your heart because 
God is saying to you, God is calling you to come home. Because for one reason or another, either because you've run from God or argued with God or tried to redefine your sin or to blame it on someone else, but you've drifted from God. You can drift from God away from the church, and you can drift from God right in the church. And maybe you've drifted from God. And I want to ask you today, would you, would you come back? Would you repent where God calls you to repent? Will you seek his forgiveness? And will you gain his perspective? And some of you are here who need to trust Christ as Savior. And today I want to ask you to give your life to Christ. Christ died for you so that you can be saved. Would you repent of your sin and place your trust in Christ and find salvation full and free in Christ? And if you will, Christ is able to forgive you. He is a father to the fatherless. He's a healer to the wounded. And God can forgive you. And Father, I want to thank you for this great book of the Bible that reminds us of truths that we need. We can't help but see ourselves more and more as we try to look at this story through your eyes that we have some of the same problems that Gomer had in our own lives. We can't help but see as we look at this story that we're far too prone to wonder and to go our own way and to chase the world and to compromise with the culture. And so, Lord, would you remind us that you made us for something more? Would you call us to be a faithful church and to follow you faithfully and to love you because you love us? Use this in our lives. Use this book of the Bible in our lives to make us more like you and to remind us how deeply you love us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.